Hello, this is Dr. Doug Wyatt, and this is the Considering Christianity as a Scientist podcast series. This is podcast number 10, and we are going to discuss the parables of Jesus. We're continuing our discussion, and we are considering the teachings of Jesus. And our last two podcasts have dealt with his parable form of teaching. This will continue, this podcast will continue that. And today we want to discuss three additional parables very quickly, and then we will sum up our thoughts about parables towards the end of this podcast. We want to discuss the parable that's commonly called the yeast, the parable that's commonly called the lost sheep, and the parable that's commonly called the faithful servant. In podcast 8 and 9, we discussed five or six parables that are found in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These last three parables that we're going to talk about today are only found in the books of Matthew and Luke, and I will only be reading those from Luke so that we have more time to discuss them towards the end of the podcast. You can also read about these same parables in Matthew. You're going to find these parables very similar to some of the other parables we read. And let me read the first, the one that's commonly called the yeast. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Once again, a parable discussing how the kingdom of God and how Christianity, his teachings, would pass through all Also from Luke, I'm going to read about the parable of the lost sheep. This is one of Jesus' best-known parables and has been used throughout the Christian church basically since day one. And I'm going to read the introductory verse that kind of sets the setting for this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, this would be the Jewish law, muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus knew all of this, of course. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Once again, this was a parable that directly impacted the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and all of the Uh, well, for the time, the intelligentsia that happened to be around him. This parable, also reading from Luke, is called the faithful servant. Jesus had been teaching in parables, and he had mentioned several other parables found in the book of Luke. 
and he was with his disciples. And Peter, who became the Peter that we all know as the leader of a Christian church, asked him a question. He said, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? That was a good question by Peter. Was he talking directly to his disciples? Was he talking to everybody that heard? Well, let's think about that. The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour when he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. It's generally the last part of that parable that is often quoted. And in life, it's certainly a universal truth. Well, let's discuss these three parables. We have talked that Jesus is Jesus's teaching in parables was a very unique way of conveying information to a broad cross section to the entire cross section of people listening. Sometimes it would take them a while to actually understand and figure out what he was talking about. And then they would have that aha moment, but they would never forget that teaching. And each of his teachings in parables dealt with various topics. How to be a righteous person, how to be a follower of him, what the kingdom of heaven was going to be like, how to teach and how people would receive that teaching. Very simple. His parables also became a little more complex, the stories a bit longer, as he got further into his ministry and began approaching Jerusalem, where more teachers of the law and more people with Jewish education would be that did not agree with him. The common masses still understood the very simple nature of his teachings, and so did many of those that were the educated lawgivers and the educated medical people and things like that, but some did not. So that was the beauty of these parables. And if you remember, a parable is a teaching that involves a comparison. All parables involve some sort of comparison. The first one dealt with yeast that we talked about just a few minutes ago. We all know that yeast was used to leaven bread to cause it to rise, to, to, to make the bread softer, more vesicular, larger. The lost sheep. That was a story about finding those who were sinners. Jesus said he did not come to save those who were already righteous. 
We later understand that Jesus knew that none were really righteous, but he says that he did not come to save the righteous, but to save those who were lost, people who were seeking to be saved. And then this concept of the faithful servant deals with life as his follower. It's beginning to discuss what it would be like to be his follower. We will watch for Christ to return. We will do what he wants us to do and act like he wants us to act and help like he wants us to help here while we are here waiting for his return. As rational and thinking humans, it is impossible for us not to see the value in these teachings. Now, we have only discussed seven or eight parables. There are a minimum of 39, as I've mentioned before, and some people split them into as many as 70. What's very interesting about parables and Jesus' use of parables to teach is how they're split between the Gospels, between the three writings of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In, in Matthew, there are 20 parables. Ten of those parables are unique to Matthew. In the book of Mark, there are only eight parables, and only two of those in Mark are unique to Mark's writing. And in Luke, there are 27 parables, and 17 of those are unique. So there are parables, parables that occur in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, quoted by all three of these authors, and then there are parables that are only selected by each author to convey. A lot of scholars believe that had to do with the audience for which these particular Gospels were written. And the understanding that the authors had relative to their listeners. I do not know if that is true, but it does make some sense. And the best way to understand the teaching of Jesus, to get a more comprehensive view of Jesus, you know, there are only some 2,000 or so words of Jesus recorded in the New Testament. But that's over three years of teaching, so we know he talked a lot more than what is recorded. So the best way to look at his teaching comprehensively is to look at all three of these Gospels together. And you can actually buy New Testaments that are called interlinear New Testaments that will have all three Gospels side by side in order. So you can read through and understand Jesus' teachings. What's remarkable about those teachings is that they are consistent. None of these parables disagree with each other. None of these parables conflict with each other. And all of these parables in the same approximate time of Jesus' teachings impact the same areas of Jesus' thoughts. Whether he was talking to individuals about the Christian life and what the kingdom of God would be, or whether he was talking to the leaders and religious mainstays of the day, they all had the same consistent thoughts. So everybody knows, both intellectually and intuitively, that these parables are the teachings of Jesus and no one really disputes that they were the teachings of Jesus. Jesus' teaching in parables was universal. I want to read one more parable to you. This is from Luke and it only occurs in the book of Luke. But it's a parable that everyone has heard and everyone understands. 
And it is an example of Jesus' teaching across universal principles that we now hold to be truth. I'll read this entire story. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This was a question that was argued among the Jewish leaders of the day, religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees and the Sadducees had completely different viewpoints on this, and there were other thoughts and schools of philosophy as well. Jesus replied, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? So Jesus is turning the tables. He asked this guy, what do you understand it to be? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, we know that to be the golden rule. Jesus responded, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Jesus is referring to eternal life as well as physical life. But this scholar, like many of us scholars do, feel like we need to justify ourselves additionally. We have to say, oh, wait, wait, I can't be that right. I have to be right because I know more than you know or because I'm smarter than you think I am. So here the Bible carries on and then we come to the parable. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said this parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Then the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus handled this religious scholar perfectly. That sounds pretentious for me to say that because Jesus would handle everything perfectly, but I, I hope you get my point. Jesus used a parable that included comparison between religious leaders, a priest, you know, a leader of the Jewish religious church, and a Levite who was a special Jewish family that took care of the temple, ignored this man. And then a Samaritan. A Samaritan was considered a half-breed, a half-Jewish person. They were not the true Jews according to the Jew, Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. They were looked down upon. They would not associate with each other, although they would buy and sell from each other because economics drives a lot of things that religion should be driving. And But the Samaritan took care of this person and even paid for it and even offered to pay if there was any extra charges. So 
this religious leader had questioned Jesus. The religious leader answered the law correctly by coming up with what we now to be the golden rule. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that is the sum of the law and the prophets, according to Jesus, the golden rule. And then Jesus gave him an answer to a hypothetical situation, this parable, and this Jewish leader, this scholar, answered it correctly, and Jesus told him to go and do likewise. I truly hope in history he went and did that. So, as scientists, let's sum up a minute about our thoughts of, of Jesus' teaching in parables. Let us consider that. A very sizable portion of the teachings of Jesus that we have recorded, that were transmitted down to us in what we know as the Bible, were in the form of parables. So Jesus spoke and taught a considerable part of his ministry by using parables. Parables are relative comparisons using subjects and topics that everybody understood, from the lowliest of the low to the highest of the high in an intellectual or economic perspective, everyone would understand the analogies that Jesus was using for comparison. It was extremely effective. And Jesus used comparisons that taught his moral code, his righteous code, his understanding of love and God that he was trying to give to us. All of these parables use these comparisons. In almost every case, the comparisons that Jesus used required not only his disciples, but just the people casually listening to him to think. And they might possibly walk away from his session on, that he was teaching thinking, uh, I'm not quite sure what he meant about that. I need to think about that. But they would think about it. Jesus was putting not just information and knowledge in their minds. He was changing their minds to compare good against bad, to compare righteousness against evil, for them to think that, oh, is this better than this? Is this better than this? Should I be doing this or should I be doing this? And his answers and solutions to these parables were always the righteous choice. They always pointed back to love, to belief, to helpfulness, to righteousness. Jesus was trying to bring everybody back to God. That was his reason for being here. We had strayed from God, and he gave examples of the servants who came back to the vineyard, and humanity, the people working the vineyard, had killed them all or beaten them all. These were people coming from the Father, trying to take what was the Father's to begin with, our love, our good works, our faithfulness, what Jesus refers to very often in his parables as the fruit of righteousness. That's all God wanted. And we just beat up the people he sent trying to tell us that if we didn't kill them outright. Finally, he had to send his son 
And that's what Jesus was saying. I am the son. I'm your last choice. So, therefore, Jesus was teaching using this parable form of teaching. He sometimes had to explain it to even his own disciples because, remember, they were just ordinary people. Some were more educated than others. Some had better intellectual skill sets, if you will. So he sometimes had to explain it to them. And I can only imagine their conversations that we don't have recorded. I would love to know what they talked about as they walked. I would love to know what they talked about as they camped for the night. I would really like to know that. I personally believe Jesus was constantly teaching. I believe he taught many of the same things in places that he went. So there might have been a lot of repeats in what he was saying. But I think the bulk of it is recorded. And of all those things that Jesus taught, a large percentage of them are in parables. And a parable is a comparison form of teaching that creates an intellectual thought process, a, an intellectual paradigm in our minds to evaluate anything that can have a similar type of comparison. It does not actually have to be the direct comparison that he mentioned. For example, in that last parable that I read about the Good Samaritan, well, you can replace a teacher of the law or a priest or replace the Levite with any human position or condition. Who was the better, more righteous person to take care of those that needed care? It's a comparison. That comparison works across all examples, across all time, and across all space. It was a form of teaching very effective for Jesus and very useful to us. We're talking about it 2,000 years later and evaluating it, and it's just as new today as it was the day it was spoken. Those comparisons are daily comparisons. They're hourly comparisons. Things that run through the human thought process, the human mind, the human spirit, the human soul every single day. And we can choose the good part of the comparison or the bad part of the comparison as our action. Jesus wants us to choose the good comparison. And that is righteousness. That is goodness and that is what he was asking of his followers. If you read some of the parables that we have not read, you will see that some of those parables have examples of what it was going to be like to be his disciple or his followers. It was not an easy road. That comparison was also there for his future followers and for those who chose not to follow him. Remember the parable of the sower? He would have followers with him that withered away when the pressures got too great. He would have followers with him that would get with the wrong type of people, the wrong crowd. It could be a politically wrong crowd. It could be a morally wrong crowd. It could be uh, any type of wrong crowd, and they would lose their religion in favor of the expediency of the other crowds. 
That's what Jesus was saying. It was not going to be easy. To wrap up the parables, how as scientists, people who think like scientists, consider the parables as teachings of Jesus? How do they apply to us? How do we use those? How do they help us believe as we listen for that call, that quiet whisper of God calling to us? How do we rationalize that out with what we know, what we think we know, what we believe, and what we think we believe? Let's briefly consider that for a moment, thinking about Christianity as a scientist and considering the teachings of Jesus through these parables. How do we rationalize these out as having meaning for us who have been trained in the scientific way? First, let's accept the historicity of these writings and these teachings. Yes, there was a man named Jesus. Yes, he did have followers. Yes, he did live in the time period we believe he lived in. And yes, these are recorded teachings of his. And yes, these teachings have come to us relatively pristine, relatively accurate, so much to our present time, so much so that we can believe the intent and the meaning behind them. We know that there has been internal comparison between these writings, that more than one author wrote these writings over a large period of time so that these were well-known and well-distributed across a large historically geographic area of the world's civilizations. And so we have a fairly high confidence that these teachings are as they claim to be. So if these teachings are as they claim to be, then we have our own experience and background to review them against what we think we know. Granted, much of the modern world is actually based on Christianity and the teachings of the Christian church for great periods of time. However, we know that the parables about the expansion of the church, the yeast, the mustard seed, were true. From one person came billions, multiple billions across time. Not just people, but in philosophy that it's used by modern man. Second, in our own experience, we compare actions and activities that the parables spoke about, whether they speak about people individually or about conditional comparisons, we can do that mentally. We can do that thought experiment. And we understand that those comparisons teach much about Christian morality, about righteousness, about how we should behave towards our fellow men and women, and how should we behave towards God? All of those things are in those comparisons. And then finally, and maybe not finally, but finally, in a way, we know these comparisons and these teachings to be truth. They are good. We sense that. If we did these things, whether we were Christians or not, they would be the right things to do. I submit to you that because we know that, we should be a Christian. 
because that is how they were taught and that was their intent. Christianity was meant for all of us and that's what that's what Jesus intended and that is what God wants. So in a way there is a logic flow through the parables of Jesus. How they were taught, the form in which they were taught, the conditions under which they were taught are all logical. And that may be a retroactive application of logic, but when you think about it, it makes sense. It's not some wild and crazy idea. It's reality. It's as modern today as it was 2,000 years ago. It has meaning, and the relationships implied by the parables are true under any human setting. We know there's truth there. Scientific truth. Righteousness truth. Relationship truth. We know what Jesus was teaching to be correct. All we have to do is admit that. That's one of the hardest things for scientists to do is to say something is final, something is ready. All we need to do is admit that and accept the teachings of Jesus in his parables. We can move forward from that. And finally, I've only mentioned six or seven of the parables. Of the 39 that most scholars believe there to be in the Bible, you can read them all in about an hour. So you can go to Wikipedia, for example, and just look up the parables in the New Testament, and you can generate a list. And you can sit down with the Bible in any version you want, in any language you want, and read through those parables in about an hour. It's well worth the time. It will change your thought process and give you a feeling on the inside of hope, of joy, of righteousness. Just listen to that feeling. Thank you, and I look forward to us talking in our next podcast.